0: Already? Otis, how did that happen? No, no thoughts? Alright, fine. Well, there are camp people and there are camp people. Lots of us that love camp have dreamed about spending our whole lives at camp, and a few of us have given it a pretty solid effort having racked up multiple decades of service. But today's guest takes the prize. With his camper and council years, and his years as a director and owner of summer camps, he has spent 55 consecutive summers at camp, many of those in a year-round capacity. Today on Camp People, we are pleased to welcome a leader in the youth camping industry, Jeff Konigsberg. Jeff is currently the director and owner at Camp Takahoe in Naples, Maine, and has been since 1987, and is owner of AAA Camp in Poland, Maine, which is, if you've been paying attention at all, uh, the camp where I've spent the last 23 summers of my life. I'm incredibly excited to have a chance to talk camp with someone who has lived it to the degree that very few others have. A big camp welcome. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for joining us here today. It's my pleasure,
1: Eric. And next to my family, talking about camp is, is my greatest love. So, so let's have some fun.
0: All right. Um, Tell us first how you became a camp person.
1: So I, I found my way to Camp Tackahoe in 1970 and um, Tackahoe was founded in 1947 and interestingly, my father and my uncle were the first two campers ever signed up to go to Camp Taco. And Morty Goldman, who was just a legendary camp director, used to run a boys club in New York City called the Cherokee Boys Club, where he would pick up New York City kids and play with them in Central Park. And uh, he actually had a stint at, at being a, a co-owner of Camp Greylock and wanted to branch out on his own. So he started searching for summer camps, found a hundred camps to look at and landed at Camp Kirasage, which was a dilapidated girls camp in Naples, Maine. Morty wanted to run a boys camp and he bought Camp Kirasage, converted it into Camp Takahoe, got my dad and uncle to be the first two campers to sign up. So naturally when it was time for me, that's that's where my dad sent me.
0: Very cool. Tell us a little bit about your camp.
1: So Camp Takahoe is an all-boys camp founded in 1947. Um, and we pride ourselves on being a well-rounded camp, being a structured camp, but, but not rigid, um, but really teaching life skills more than um, than anything else. So we think that, you know, especially in today's day and age, which I refer to often as the microwave, microwave uh, generation, Um, instant gratification everyone getting what they want Um, we want to give our thumbs a rest we want to have handshakes after games and and use our words and eye contact and and life skills and so you know when you first come into Takahoe Morty Goldman uh, strategically put a welcome arch with words like honesty and integrity and loyalty and sportsmanship and so that's really the cornerstone of what Camp Takahoe stands for.
0: That's awesome. That's great. As a teacher, I see the need for that more and more as the years go by. And what a great thing to have that available to those boys. Um, What have your roles at camp been over the years? You said you started as a camper.
1: So I was an eight year camper uh, and I was fortunate to be asked back as a counselor when I was 17 and I started working in basketball. Uh, Worked my way up. Um, You know, Takahoe has always had a great administrative team that have committed themselves for many, many years, like 30 plus years at each position. So there's not a lot of turnover. But when I was in college, the junior group leader who managed the fifth and sixth grade age group was ready to step down. And so when I was about 20 or 21, Morty Goldman asked me if I wanted to move into that role uh, which gave me my first leadership job, um, and so I was managing 120 or 30 kids and 40 or 50 counselors and daily program and and you know all the nuances that go in with every person's existence in a camp setting. Um, I then had the opportunity to to do the same in the senior camp for the 13, 14, and 15 year olds. And interestingly, Morty Goldman had three sons, all of whom who dabbled in camp, none of whom wanted to stay in camp. So when I graduated from college in '83, after having this experience of, you know, working as group leaders and such, Morty asked me how I felt about coming on board full time, recruiting campers, hiring staff. And so that was my foot in the door to, to the camping industry.
0: And your roles since then have evolved into other things, correct?
1: Well, so what happened um, was, you know, uh, I worked for Morty from the age of, you know, 21, at graduating from college. And when I was 27, um, he was in his 70s and had a heart condition. And he said, how would you like to buy the cam? And I said, how do you do that? You know, I was <laughs> seven years old. I had no financial means. And I had to put together, you know, this, this, this deal, which, of course, Morty was my mentor. And he, he helped me craft it. Um, and and my brother, who was an attorney, um, played an intricate role in in sort of guiding me at that time. And then, after running Taco for fifteen years, uh, I sat down with Nancy Brenner, who was the owner of Lake Camp and uh, a terrific, terrific person. And we sat down on uh, the bench in front of a Starbucks on Greenwich Avenue. <laughs> And I said, Nancy, I really want to buy Trip Lake Camp. And, you know, there was discussion that Nancy's kids had graduated and they were in college. And her husband, who's a great guy, didn't come up to camp all summer. And Nancy, you know, might have been a little lonely doing this job. And so we literally sat down having a cup of coffee on a park bench on Greenwich Avenue and kind of crafted the terms for me to buy Trip Lake, which I've now owned for 25 years.
0: Amazing, which is a fun coincidence because the fall that you guys had that conversation was the fall after my first summer. Wow. So, yeah, you you bought it between my first and second summer. And, you know, of course, you've yeah. seen me every summer since, but. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. <laughs> so you've seen camp in a variety of circumstances. Do you have a favorite activity? Is there one that still kind of like grabs you at your core that you, even though you have lots of other things to do, you'd really like to go sit at that activity as much as possible?
1: Absolutely. So so look, I I think, you know, um, there are many iconic moments that happen in every in every season. And, you know, they could be, you know, your tennis invitational or your camp play or swim meet. I think for me, the most special moment of the summer is our opening campfire, Um, because the opening campfire is the first time we all come together in one location and we set the tone for the summer and we talk about inclusion and we talk about this community and uh and the importance of letting everybody feel like they're part of a family and that it's everybody's responsibility whether you're the youngest camper at 7 or the oldest counselor to make everybody feel welcomed and we talk about the Takaho arch ideals um you know self-reliance and and um friendship and loyalty. And and those are merely words on an arch, unless we choose to implement them into our daily lives. Um, and so that opening campfire, to me, sets the tone uh, for the whole season. And that's why it's so special for me.
0: That's great. I understand what you mean, because I think in, in previous conversations I've had on this topic, everyone expects me to say that my favorite activity is art shops, because I've been you know running our program for the last 20 years. But which I love. And I love the creativity that happens in every single art studio. And that that moment of self-discovery where a kid finds something they didn't know they were good at, or they didn't know they liked, like that's magic. But I really enjoy those moments of, and I don't go to a lot of our morning assemblies at camp because it happens on campus. But when I do have an announcement or something and I go to assembly and the kids are there gathered around cheering each other for whatever happened at a team game or singing the birthday song for each other and being so hyped up about like somebody having a birthday that day, those moments of camp community are really special. And I think that, yeah, that speaks to the same kind of truth that you're talking about. Uh, Tell us what a good day looks like at camp. I mean, we know there aren't bad days at camp, but what's an exceptionally good day look like? at camp?
1: Well, there are bad days at camp. Um, Well, I was, you know, but there, yeah, there are. I mean, you know, I, I think I think camp is a microcosm of the real world. I think I think that um, you know, when I talk to parents a lot, you know, I, I often remind them that who's happy every single day of the week, you know, and, and part of the camp experience is learning how to manage disappointment. Um, I think that everybody sees camp as this euphoric, playful environment and really what it is, is it's an opportunity for children to go away from their parents for that first experience and learn age-appropriate life skills and um, how to manage disappointment, how to help out in a bunk, um, recognizing maybe someone else's needs need to come ahead of yours, how to manage the disappointment of not winning a game or getting the part in the play or coming in second in something. And, And to learn how to manage that is critically important to a child's growth and development. And at the same time, for a counselor to learn how to uh, be a leader and a coach and a mentor and a role model um, is critically important to a counselor's growth and development as a human being and as a a partner someday in a a, a relationship or in in a business environment. So it's not always a glorious day at camp. But The glorious days at camp, the happiest days at camp are when you just sort of feel like you're clicking on all cylinders. You know, usually starts when you wake up with a nice day and you see the sun shining just because everybody feels a little bit better. Uh, There's a great vibe. You know, you feel like you have your schedule set. You're excited because you know that you've planned a day that's going to create great excitement for a lot of kids. You look on the board and you see there's some amazing trips going out. So kids are going to get a chance to experience, you know, part of new England and Maine. Maybe you got a lot of intercamp going on that day and it's not just for the best athletes, but it's maximum participation. So everybody gets to put on a Takahou uniform and compete with your friends. Um, Maybe there's a play at the end of the day or a campfire. So at the end of this very special experience, you all come together and you end your day as a family Um,
0: What could be better than that? Seriously, 25 summer, well, 23 summers, in. this will be my 24th, because I missed 02 because I was working in Chicago that summer. And of course, many of us missed 2020 for obvious reasons. I love how, particularly this time of year, we're through the busy part of the holidays. Those of us that are teachers, you start to see sort of how the end of the year is shaped and that um, enthusiasm for camp just starts to build. And when you describe a day like that, it's like, yep, I need to get back there as soon as humanly possible.
1: And, you know, it's great for me to hear you say that, Eric, is that, you know, if from my role, um, you know, when I was when I was a kid playing sports my whole life and in, in college and I used to be on a, a road trip and be on the bus um, and you knew that you were going to go do something like you were going to roll up your sleeves and you were going to compete and you were going to get going. Um I used to look around the bus, you know, I used to look around at who was there with me and, and that motivated me, you know? And so my point is knowing people like you are coming back, you know, knowing that you're building a team from, you know, the leadership position is very motivating and inspiring to the admin because they know they have the team. And when you surround yourself with great people, you often get great results. So um, knowing that people like you and other counselors are just counting down the days is, is very motivating for me.
0: That's very kind of you to say. And also I, I reiterate that for all of the people that we look forward to seeing, you know, because I mean, what's the biggest winner conversation, but like we've all got those key players um, who, you know, it's a, it's going to be great to have them in their spot, but many of our staff in the middle parts of their career, particularly that ever so um, tenuous phase of college is ending and what happens next, you're like, okay, are they coming back? Are they coming back? And then you start to find out who's coming back and it gets pretty exciting to imagine you know, the team back together again.
1: And it's also really fun, again, from my perspective to, um, you know, my job is to play with whoever shows up. Yeah. Coach, right. And so so, you know, we have to make the decisions that, you know, that great person is not coming back and you have to see using the sports analogy. Do you have a deep edge? You know, is there somebody else that's part of your community that can step up and take that role? And, you know, something usually they can. Usually yeah. they can. And it's not only because of the choice that we're trying to make, but also because of the staff. And once again, coming back to inclusion, if, if people give others a chance to grow and succeed and thrive, um, and they they give them that level of support and
0: encouragement, um, Then, then usually people do great things. Agreed completely. And I think that for those of us that have benefited from that and who have experienced that level of growth in our time at camp, I've tried to be very mindful in recent years of the importance of how that gets paid forward like I was really fortunate in the late 90s and early 2000s to have some really powerful and positive mentors at camp, not just in terms of my leadership team, but in terms of my colleagues as well. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't have had as successful first couple of summers if I didn't have as my returning staff members who were willing to take me under their wing, people like uh, Georgia Wanger. And George, you know, Sussman and Ben Kowalski like that without people like that to kind of point you the right direction and help you see the way um, it, it becomes a very different experience. So the fact that that continues on and that when I see my younger staff who I've mentored then start to do that again it and the way the cycle, um, you know, self continues is, you know that's worth the price of admission for lack. of
1: And those skills are bigger than camp. Those skills are skills that you now I'm sure are using in your classroom and uh, and in your daily and in your daily life. And so that's what camp that's, that's the beauty of camp. That's the magic of camp that, you know, this is not a, a transactional experience. It's not a season experience. It's a, it's a lifetime experience. And those things that you learn, um, you know, when you're a camper or a counselor, as you're describing, um, translate into a much bigger uh, platform for for you as an as an adult.
0: Yes, this is where the great argument for choose working at camp instead of that internship comes into play. Because, I mean, yep. we all circulated that article that came around. I think it was a Wall Street Journal article a few years ago about why working at a camp was so valuable, and we can't say that enough to all the college kids out there like if you want a positive experience find your way to a summer camp
1: well you know i talk in my literally the the first day that the counselors come into camp um and i welcome them and we, we we bring them in and they're from all walks of life and they've traveled and you know they find themselves sitting in a in a in a playhouse and and who's sitting next to me and who's around and You know, I talk about why a camp job and, you know, in a camp setting, you need strong communication skills. You need to talk to your campers and your parents and your colleagues. And what business isn't looking for an employee who comes in that has strong communication skills and can be articulate and, and, um, and transparent? You need adaptability, right? You need adaptability. What is more... Uh, needed in a camp setting then someone is adaptable to all kinds of situations, all kinds of people, adaptable to following the rules, adaptability to, okay, you know, Eric, it's a rainy day. Guess what? We're throwing 75 people into the art shops with you. I mean, you, you have to be adaptable. You need leadership skills. Any company wants leaders, right? And a leader doesn't have to be somebody that gets up and speaks in front of 100 people and gives a speech. A leader needs to be able to motivate one person at a time, helping that child get up on water skis or giving them the confidence to try the climbing wall. Um, That is a leader. And we all need team players, right? I mean, what company doesn't want a team player? These are all things that camps require of a counselor on a daily basis to be their best. And those
0: absolutely translate to the real world. Oh, completely. And to have that be learned in a practical capacity with an automatic ability to translate that out into other situations. I mean, that's one of the best things our staff packs up and takes with them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I say to counselors all the time, if if you if you can think of it in these terms, um, then then the skills you leave
0: with are going to you know help you immeasurably in your in your in your future. And isn't it great when you get those? I mean, because obviously we can't we can't keep all of our great people forever. That would be really great if we could. But when they do move on into another capacity, when you get that note or that email or that message that says hey, just thinking of when we did blank, I'm in this situation now. That was really valuable for me. I was just thinking of the old days. Thanks a million for all that. Like when those sorts of messages come, that's that kind of makes it all worthwhile also.
1: Nothing like a thank you and a pat on the back to so, make
0: you know, <laughs> somebody feel better.
1: And, and by the way, we're all guilty of not doing it enough. I mean, it's just, uh, <clears throat> you know, we have to in life and in camp, again, it's—I keep saying—it's a microcosm of the real world. We need to slow down to the speed of life. We need to have appreciation for those people around us. We need to, um, you know, see the glass half full and, 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 you know, and just enjoy the moment.
0: Yeah. So, more than fifty years at a boys' camp—it sounds like, in that capacity, there would be plenty of room for shenanigans. Have pranks been a thing at your camp over the years? Absolutely. Um, but I, th- I think, you know, it's interesting. I
1: I, I look at this from different perspectives. Um, when I was a camper and a counselor, I was first guy in with the pranks. And, you know, I think that um, I looked at it a little bit differently than I do as an owner. Um, you know, and there there are always, the, you know, some of the fun pranks. I mean, nowadays, our senior campers finishing ninth grade, they're called Okeechobee's. Okies, that's sort of the the oldest bunk. Um, they see pranks as their rite of passage, and they they come to camp thinking of what is our prank going to be. And the funny thing about it is, as 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 the administration, we sort of know when they're going to do it and what they're going to do. And they'll do things like pulling every boat out of the water and and putting them up on the senior baseball field. And it's arduous lifting, moving, <laughs> carrying. You know, they'll they'll get up at two in the morning. They'll one year they took everything out of the dining room, uh, set it up on the beach. I mean, I'm talking about the toasters, the juice machines. I mean, well thought out plans. And we get up at about four or five in the morning get them out of bed just when they're finished, when they're physically exhausted and all they want to do is go to bed and we make them put everything back. So no one else even in camp sees what they've done, you know? So, you know, and, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, was it worth it? And, and
0: inevitably they say, yeah, it was great. It was absolutely. The activity of being together at night doing that, that's, that's what they're after. You know, that the camaraderie of that is really worth what they're doing. One year we broke Olympics um, or did a fake break
1: with Olympics by, you know, taking all the canoes and kayaks. And we um, put them up on the uh, the roof of our dining room. Um, And and then we woke the senior boys up uh, early, like at five, six o'clock in the morning. And, you know, pretending that we were furious with them for taking these canoes and putting them up on the on the dining room porch, you know, rooftop. It was dangerous. It was reckless. Um, They could damage these boats. They would have to pay for them. And these kids were all looking around like, "We didn't do it. We didn't do it." (laughs) Um, You know. So we we actually pulled a little prank on the on the oldest
0: boys um, in anticipation. I had a similar incident without meaning to at all. Like early in my tenure at camp, we had just thinking we were clever one night, put a message in the tennis court fences with paper cups framing the swim staff so we had framed the swim staff in an attack on the tennis staff which i thought would just be like a one and done well then tennis retaliated with to swim by like i think they stole their lane lines or something and had again like you said had them back in place before first period because you got to have them anyway so it wasn't really the effort but um but then they went back and forth with each other all summer and it was like three guys from the art staff who started the whole thing and they never actually even knew that, but yeah. Yeah, silliness yeah. and that sort well, of, that art.
1: that's the clever part. If you, if, if you literally set up between, you know, the, 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 the swim staff and the tennis staff and you're the art guy doing it, you're no one's looking at you. Right. So, you know, that's, that's, that's a pretty clever thing. You know, um,
0: we did at one point make sure, and this was like, when I say we, I mean like that group of sort of, Slightly veteran staff who really don't have any huge responsibility yet, but we still, you know, like you said, everyone's exercising leadership roles in some capacity. We did impart on the staff, the counselor staff, that there had to be sort of a code of conduct, like, no destruction of property, no excessive amount, no work for people who aren't you. If you can't correct the prank, you shouldn't be making it kind of thing. Like you're not making work for maintenance. You're not like, you know. So we did kind of put that in for a while, but eventually all of our staff sort of mellowed out. And I think that in the last 20 years or so, it's been kind of a not as it's much. A great code of, of conduct.
1: That's you a know? great code of conduct because, you know, again, from where I sit, it's usually the maintenance staff, you know, when they show up, or the kitchen staff that, you know, are going to prepare the breakfast and something's missing or, and that's where it's not funny. The rest of these pranks, you're going to have to read in my book when I retire. There we go. Further. And I got a lot of them, but but I'm just, yeah. I look forward to that. Where I sit, am I going to keep going with this topic? (laughs) understand.
0: Of course. Um, And like, you know, if the point is to have fun and, you know, enjoy each other, then doing something that creates, you know, actual havoc. There's no fun in that. And I think that's a good thing about camp too, is usually the people that we're surrounded with sort of get that camp. Obviously years and years of memories, um, good memories, bad memories. What comes to mind when you think of like your core camp memories? When you
1: own a camp, as opposed to going as a counselor um, and you take on the responsibility of every human being Um it's an enormous, an enormous responsibility. And um, it is hard for me from where I sit to look at the glass half full all the time and see the hundreds of children thriving, um, the counselors growing when something's not right. And something not right There could be a lot of things. Um, Again, we're a microcosm of the real world, of life. Um, You know, um, you're dealing with children that have medical conditions. Um, Maybe somebody gets hurt on your property uh, and you have an injured child that you're there, you know, um, trying to um, take care of. um, You know, the communication with those parents, those are incredibly hard phone calls to make if somebody gets injured or is, is unwell. Um, things happen. And, um, so it's hard for me to, um, I'm in a zone when I'm there and, and, and it's hard for me to not just always be on and, uh, ride a roller coaster every day. When my walkie talkie goes off and it's a nurse or doctor that says, we need you in the health center, um you know, like I know something's up, right? And and uh, when a boy comes in the office or a counselor comes in the office, I, uh, you know, um, delivering sad news to somebody because things happen outside of camp during the summer. And so now we're communicating and we're managing these life moments that we know are going to be impactful to children and adults. So Um, it's, it's just, there's a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And I really feel honored to be in this position where, you know, I can be there with somebody when they need something. Um, and it's, it's a position that nobody could really understand unless, unless you're, unless you're living it, unless you're dealing with it. Um, it's very, very unique. Um, it's an incredible amount of responsibility uh, families are entrusting the, their most precious possessions, their lives of the children, in your hands, and and that is so incredibly sacred to me. Um, but it's enormous. It's really oh, enormous. sure.
0: What a wonderful thing to be able to create the circumstance that brings everyone to camp. But I can't even imagine the weight of it. So
1: and you know ne- you never know what it is, and 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 even after thirty five years of running Tahoe, um, I've seen a lot. I've seen most things. Um, but I think I think if you want to be good at this, every time you deal with a situation, you have to deal with a situation recognizing it's this human being's situation. It's not your situation that you've dealt with multiple times. It's it's their first time dealing with a situation. And you might again have you know trips going out and intercamp and a hundred things going on. But when you have a little child waiting outside your office to talk to you, that's enormous because whatever he's feeling needs to be addressed. And it's got to be as important as the trip that's going out or the intercamp because it's his world. And, and you know, I'm thankful enough that I get to be living in it and seeing how I could help him navigate. And, you know, nowadays, parents are just trying to fix and uh, and solve and um, and it's nice to be able to teach and have a teachable moment, not just a solvable moment.
0: Yeah, because what better chance for a kid to learn how to manage the challenges and overcome the adversities than in a camp setting where the underlying foundation of safety and security is so well protected? Paramount. Yeah. Paramount. We know that camp connects people. How do you know that to be true? Oh gosh. Um, I know well, there's mind. a, there's a thousand I answer mean, questions.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, when you're living in a camp setting um, and it's 24 um, seven, the relationships that develop are, are, are just so, so incredible, so sincere, so genuine. And, you know, I've had the opportunity to see bunkmates go on and be fraternity brothers in college and uh, and then go on and 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 be in the same, you know, business environment and uh, being each other's wedding parties. Thirty five years of this. Um, I've seen marriages from our staff members. Uh, you know, some of our greatest um, have gotten married. Um, you know, Jeff Kunjak comes to mind, uh, you know, falling in love for, with Priscilla Croft who worked on our waterfront. And, uh, you know, he was the athletic director and, you know, they got married a year later at Takahoe and, you know, it all came back, you know, those moments are incredibly special. And now watching their children grow up, they've been incredible life relationships formed in a camp setting. And, you know, Warren Davis, my associate directors, like my brother, um, if I could think of one person I would want in the foxhole with me as we're dealing with all the incoming, I couldn't have a better person than Warren, um, a, a, just a sound mind, a reasonable human being. Um, you talk about our archer deal with loyalty and integrity, and uh, he, this is who Warren is. Um and and so I have been blessed. Um, the administrative staff at TACAHO, I think the baby in the group right now is back for 15 years. I mean, uh-huh. I have people that have been around for 30, 40 years, and we just look forward to being together. And so these are deep, deep friendships. Um, where again, I just feel like we're lacing them up and we're we're working side by side and and um sharing these memories together. It's it is it is it has been the gift um that keeps on giving to me um to keep meeting incredible people at camp and 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 calling them friends and family
0: that's wonderful obviously as the owner of two camps you're always at camp in your mind but when you're not at camp in Maine what do you miss the most
1: well i don't turn it off um and and um i spend the entire off season focusing on um the season and you know it's interesting um many families will say you know they'll call me in february or you know november and say how's the you know how's the off season how's the, and 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 it's not you know we're we're always looking to be better and the world is changing at a really rapid pace and i use the expression sometimes that i want to keep one foot um in the past you know to honor the the time tested traditions and the values of the institution but the other foot needs to be striving into the future. And you need to recognize that the world is different, children are different, parents are different. And, and so you need to be able to adapt. And um, and so we spend the off-season adapting, giving careful consideration to how we could improve um our, our program and our and our policies and procedures. So um there's
0: no off-season for me. Fair enough. Final question: We got there pretty quickly. What has being a camp person taught you about yourself?
1: You know, um, Morty Goldman, the owner of Takahoe, the founder of Tacko, um used to say, and and I was a student of of, of Morty and of of many of those camp directors that um, were legends you know before a lot of us and i'm not including myself i promise you think they were legends i mean i know a lot of camp directors who think they're legends um <laughs> and, and and when i when i think back to to those that built a camp and created a camp and created the program and created the philosophy they're the true legends in this industry and and um and so morty used to say your vocation has to be your avocation you need to love what you do um, and 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 while there's tremendous stress and pressure in running a summer camp, there's cr- tremendous joy and excitement in in seeing the fruits of your labor, um, and 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 having the longevity to watch children grow and develop, and now see second generation, and we even have third generation at both camp. Uh, you know, children coming to camp um, wanting to follow in in their family's footsteps. So that is the joy of what i get to do um you know to just sort of see um that this is not transactional um we don't want to say goodbye to a camper when they graduate uh, we want to know where they are we want to know how they're doing we want to embrace their lives we want to be a resource to them um emotionally in every other which way and it's a wonderful heartfelt um moment for me when I get calls out of the blue and I get them fairly often from somebody who just wants to pick my brain, you know, because maybe they saw me in my role as a, as, as, as a father of children in camp. Um, you know, maybe I touched a, a counselor at a moment when they needed some guidance and some direction, um, uh, helping somebody through an impulsive moment. And so receiving those calls and knowing that I could potentially um, you know, be somebody that could guide or help or mentor um, is just so rewarding to me because it, it it's just far more than than a business. I've never, ever looked at this as a business. I've never been guided by money, uh, by the finances. I've always made decisions based on my morals and my ethics, not on a bottom dollar. And and I feel I feel good about that.
0: Definitely, as 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 you should. Isn't that one of the big lessons of, you know, real adulthood as, you know, one of the guests a few weeks ago said, um, one of her friends had said to her how lucky they were as counselors to get to grow up in that sort of space that where they were together. And, you know, sure, you're an adult when you're 18, but as you get yourself through college and start to look ahead toward your actual responsibilities and how those all click into place to have the support network that camp provides, really is a fortunate thing for those people who are in that circumstance. And as those of us who have continued our roles at camp well into actual adulthood, that transition between having to make all of your decisions and set up your circumstance into how your choices and how your decisions impact the people around you. And when you realize that, you know, real happiness is what you get to do for other people, I think camp sets us up for that in a really ideal sort of way.
1: Well, I'll go go one step further. And in my years of running camp, um, I will tell you that a lot has changed. And, um, you know, technology for all of, you know, the the greatness that we see in our world and the ease in which we're able to live our lives um, has little to no place in camp. And, And it impedes a child's growth and development And it impacts a parent's ability to make good parenting choices because um, we all want to be fixers. And um, camp in the old days was a place where you would send your child and you you couldn't follow what was happening every single day. You truly had to trust the experience, the leadership, um, the program. And nowadays, parents are able to really get a bird's-eye view of everything that's going on or their perception of what's going on. And their perception is very often not reality. And so as a camp director, we're now very often faced with responding to things that aren't factually correct that are taking up our time because you know one parent in the group chat you know is telling another parent something which has nothing to do with this other person's child it is it is it is taking on a life of its own and um and now more than ever children need this experience and um i'm a firm believer that we don't really know yet for those children that are attending camp today, the full effect that technology and, and, and parents managing technology as it relates to summer camp, not letting children breathe and live, um, not letting children figure things out under you know the guidance and the supervision of a good quality staff. Um, those are critically important aspects of self-reliance that are gonna help children be better young adults and and live better lives and so um that's that's our greatest challenge today in camp is creating that separation that that natural appropriate separation parents are supposed to know what's going on at camp it's their children we have their children we should be completely transparent in our communication we should be available to answer questions whenever they have them but they need to let their children, they need to open up their hands and let their children fly. If they're raising their children, they need to know that the next step to their growth and development is giving them a sense of of independence. and, And that's where we come in.
0: Very well said. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Jeff, I thank you for your time today. I appreciate you coming on and talking camp with me. I think that this experiment of a podcast that I'm doing is as much a reflection for me, as it is a chance for other people to share their thoughts and their ideas, and um, I've enjoyed bouncing camp ideas back and forth with you very, very much.
1: Well, thank you, Eric, for including me, and uh, and best of luck with this project. I, I think it's I think it's a great idea.
0: Thanks, Jeff. And another Tuesday is come and gone. Thank you again to Jeff Koningsberg for joining us here on Camp People. What a great chance for all of us to have a look into a very unique situation. Again, if anyone out there has camp memories that they would like to share, please feel free to slide into the Camp People DMs on Instagram and let us know of anything you'd like to share. In the coming weeks, we have some very interesting guests lined up, and we can't wait for everyone to hear what they have to say. Until next time, I'm Eric Bell. This is Camp People. Have a great week.